Welcome to Conservative Solutions to Liberal Problems with Colin Hanna, President of Let Freedom Ring USA, offering reasonable and rational answers for the most important pressing questions of our day. Now here's Colin Hanna. Welcome to Conservative Solutions to Liberal Problems. I'm your host, Colin Hanna from Let Freedom Ring. Let Freedom Ring's website is letfreedomringusa.com. Our guest today is a good friend, Tom Fitton, who is the head of Judicial Watch, one of the most interesting uh, public interest, uh, you might even say gadflies, uh, a legal firm to be sure, but uh, a legal firm with a gadfly uh, character to it. Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Colin. Good to be with you. So before we go into some of the notable breakthroughs and impacts that Judicial Watch has had over the past couple of years, would you mind spending just a few moments and tell our listeners about Judicial Watch in general? What is your mission? What's your history? And how are you funded? Well, we've been around since 1994, and we're a 501c3. We're a charity. Uh, we're an educational foundation, believe it or not. And uh, uh, as a government watchdog group, I think we're unique here in the United States and certainly worldwide. You know, other organizations, uh, organizations like Judicial Watch aren't allowed to exist in most other countries. Uh. And we're unique here in the United States, obviously, because all of our work is geared to exposing what the government's up to, educating the American people about what the government's up to. And to do that, we use a variety of legal techniques and you know, educational techniques. But the legal techniques are asking for records under the Freedom of Information mm -hmm. Act and getting them and going to court to get them oftentimes. And what's remarkable about it is, you know, unlike the left, which has similar groups, you know, they tend to be very narrow focused or uh, limited in scope. And we've got this broad focus where we ask questions about everything. And the great thing about the work we do is we're able to do it because we're widely supported. We have over a half a million active supporters. Uh, so it's the grassroots that are allowing us to And how large is your staff, Tom? Uh, we have about 50 staff, and we're growing. Uh, government corruption in Washington, D.C., unfortunately, is a, is a, a growth industry. It certainly is. It's flourishing. <laughs> it sure is. And, uh, you know, I often, I often joke I'm waiting for the Trump administration to come to power because things haven't really changed as much as uh, I think people would have expected, uh, especially given the resistance to President Trump. But Judicial Watch is, is out in the forefront on the issues that you care about. If, if there's something that you find interesting about what's happening in Washington or you're wondering, I wonder what really went on there, you can bet that we've been asking questions too and maybe in court about it as well. So it's, a, uh, it's quite an honor and it's kind of exciting to be here because we're always at the cutting edge in terms of trying to figure out just what's going on in this town. Now, when did you join Judicial Watch? Well, I've been here since 1998, so almost 20, 20 years. So one, two, three, this is my fourth presidential administration. So you've been on uh, the uh, watchdog role uh, against both Republican and Democrat administrations. Can you draw any conclusions uh, about the pattern? What are the differences? Well, uh, Republicans think because they're not Democrats, why would anyone criticize them? <laughs> uh, and, uh, and the Democratic corruption that began, you know, uh, Judicial Watch began during the Clinton administration. I came on just as in the Lewinsky scandal was breaking. Uh, so we were really in the thick of it then. Uh, you had this air of lawlessness with, unfortunately, the, the Democratic Party that is really, they haven't really shaken. 
And so that's the power problem. And then the other problem is that the Republicans have refused to confront them on it, and hence President Trump, uh, because he did run in a confrontational way there that I thought that I thought many people responded to positively because he kind of, for the first time, was a significant political figure who was willing to confront and talk about the corruption. You know, no one really in Washington wanted to confront in a significant way. Talk about the early years of Judicial Watch. Uh, you mentioned that you came on at the, at the time of the Lewinsky scandal. What kinds of things uh, were you finding out? Were you basically going after information that those in power uh, wanted to keep from, from public exposure? Is that essentially uh, correct, or are there other aspects to your work uh, that are somewhat different in character? Boy, you know, it's interesting. We're investigating IRS abuses, the misuse of the FBI, and foreign influence in our political campaigns. My goodness. Isn't that interesting? Where, where did those themes come up? Well, you had the Chinese— They seem to be perennials. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you had the Chinese government uh, taking, uh, basically bankrolling the Clinton campaign and the president of the United States raising money. Now, in talk the White about House. that a little bit in those Clinton years and also the Mark Rich financing and some of those other things. Because I don't think our listeners um, are as aware of that as perhaps what you've done in the last couple of years in the Obama administration, which has truly been breakthrough stuff. We'll get to that in a moment. But take us through the, the late 90s and, uh, and early years in the Bush years. Well, I think everyone remembers Lewinsky. But do they remember that the Chinese government had bankrolled in a key way uh, the Bill Clinton's uh, nascent presidential campaign in 92. Now, for the Chinese to invest or deposit or donate money to a foundation is one thing, but you're making a claim that is essentially a claim of illegal activity, that foreign Chinese money was actually being contributed to a presidential campaign. That's against the law, is it not? It was, and they were raising it from the... From and how did, how did they do it, and frankly, how did they get away with it? Well, initially it was subtle because there was this bank known as the Lippo Bank, uh, and it had operations or cutouts in Arkansas, and there was this... In Arkansas? This character... How curious. Yes, it is. How, how many other places in the U.S. was the Lippo Bank active? It, it, managed to settle, uh, it managed to settle and set up some significant outway, uh, uh, outposts in Arkansas. Uh, associated with, and they were friendly with then Governor Bill Clinton, and John Wong, who was, uh, according to intelligence agencies, a cutout for the Chinese, an agent for the Chinese, uh, was so proud of the fact that that bank helped fund and support and give a loan to the Clinton campaign in its first presidential efforts. Now, how was it actually accomplished? Because a direct financing, whether it's on in the form of loan or, or as a cash donation, that's not possible, correct? I mean, the, the, the laws and disclosure requirements are such that it has to be disguised in some way. Am I wrong about well, that? Well, you know, the loan itself may not be illegal, but what then happened was that the Chinese saw folks like John Wong and Judicial Watches uh, became, we had a client initially, uh, later Johnny Chung, and others, and they were just sending money to the DNC through these people. And it was quite obvious what was going on. Charlie Tree, another one of uh, the Chinese connections for the, for the Clinton operation, 
I mean, showed up to provide money to Bill Clinton's legal defense trust fund, and I think he came in with a suitcase full of checks and cash. Now, let me ask you just a technical question. When it comes to something like a legal defense fund, do the same laws barring foreign contributions apply to such a fund, or is it different than the restrictions on a direct political campaign fund? Well, there would be uh, – if money was being laundered and there was fraud taking place and you were taking money and reporting it as something else – uh, where, in fact, it was coming from abroad when you're uh, attributing it to uh, domestic donors. This is what the problem was. They were taking steps to mask the source of the donations. So take us through a couple of those steps. How does it work? So well, you, 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 start, you start with, with someone on the Chinese bank side that says, I want to have influence in – gracious, listen to these words. I want to have influence in the American election. Or one might say, I want to meddle in the American election. How do they go about doing that in such a way that the money is is uh, effectively laundered and not immediately apparent in a simple scan of uh, donors? Well, they would have a, an event, and it's the way that this happens typically is that they would have an event or they have a fundraiser, uh, and they would just write a check or there would be checks written in other people's names, but the money didn't come from those people. It came from foreign sources. And that's what was happening with the Chinese connection. They were funding the DNC uh, and the president's reelection effort uh, through a variety of cutouts. But it really got really bad because the president started doing fundraising in the White House, President Clinton. And at one point, a Chinese general came in for one of these fundraisers. So it became implausible that the president and his people didn't know where this money was coming from. Uh, you're having a meeting and most of the people don't speak English. It's a good indication that the money isn't from an American source. And whatever happened to the individuals who's, in whose names these laundered donations were being made? Well, some of them were uh, uh, prosecuted and James Riotti, who was tied to the Chinese, he was prohibited from, I think, coming back into the country or, or maybe he did flee the country. Some of these people fled the country. Others pled out. Uh, but the real problem was the politicians who benefited from the money got away scot clean. And how does w- – you free, I should say. When, when you do find uh, some, something that is clearly illegal like that, how do you as a private educational foundation turn the information over to the authorities so that prosecution can be made? Well, what we were doing is in the course of a Freedom of Information Act litigation, we were asking for documents about the Commerce Department. Who uh, and the Clinton Commerce Department were, were had these overseas trade trips, which were being supported by um, uh, the taxpayer, but they were designed to help businesses get contracts with companies abroad. Now, as a conservative, I don't like that, but certainly, just generally speaking, you shouldn't have to pay the DNC in order to get on that trip. Uh, and so, uh, we were trying to figure out what was going on there. And they were obviously hiding documents and destroying documents, and so we were able to get discovery, and we had to bring witnesses in. And it was in the course of that litigation we found some of the Chinese connections, like John Wong, this Chinese-connected uh, fundraiser who was placed in the Commerce Department. Mm-hmm. One of these trade trips, for instance, went to China, 
and all sorts of shenanigans went on there as a result in terms of fundraising and influence peddling. So you deliver, you, you discover uh, so we're this just, nefarious activity. How do you turn it over to the authorities? Well, the Justice Department is litigating against us, so they knew about it, and they were doing their own investigations. Uh, Louis Free, the then FBI director, wanted to appoint an independent counsel, but he was overruled by Janet Reno, then attorney general, and Eric Holder, then her deputy. It is, I, I tell you, the, the more you talk about it, the more you realize things really haven't changed. Just like it it's says the same in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. The same we need to take a such. break here now, Tom, but we'll come back and I want to talk a little bit more about how you use the Freedom of Information Act. You're listening to Conservative Solutions to Liberal Problems on WNTP in Philadelphia. You're listening to Conservative Solutions to Liberal Problems. Here again is Colin Hanna. We're back with Tom Fitton, the head of the Judicial Watch organization in Washington. Just prior to the break, we were talking about FOIA. That's the pronunciation of the acronym FOIA. It stands for the Freedom of Information Act. Now, the Congress, both House and Senate, have a powerful tool to compel the production of information, and it's called the congressional subpoena used in congressional hearings and investigations. Judicial Watch doesn't have access to a congressional subpoena. You have to rely on the Freedom of Information Act or FOIA. Most people consider that a weaker tool. Yet you've been able to get your hands on documents through filing a FOIA lawsuit that congressional subpoenas have failed to achieve. How is that possible, Tom? Well, um, it's even worse than that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Tell us. I mean, because Congress pays the bills. I mean, they don't. Subpoenas are the the last resort for Congress. Sure, uh, they request testimony they requ- first. They request documents, and of course, they can cut funding off in a way so to require. You know, you, you want your agency funded. Well, you give us the information you want. We want you want your nominee appointed. You give us the information we want. So there are all sorts of. Uh, there's almost a, a, a unlimited ability by Congress to get the information they want. But it's a political process. So even if they get a subpoena, you're getting to a fight between Congress and the president and the executive branch. And it doesn't matter which parties control which branch. Those are political fights. So uh, you know, lawyers get into battles over whether information is given back and forth in civil litigation. Well, you can imagine if it's the politicians behind the lawyers battling. So it's, it's just a recipe for dysfunction and, um, and, and stonewalling. And the nice thing about the Freedom of Information Act is that when we go into court, so what typically what happens, you file your request under the Federal Freedom of Information Act, and Judicial Watch says, let's say to the EPA, give us documents about climate change. And uh, they have 20 days or so to respond. And you have to draw it narrowly enough that it's, that it's reasonable. Right. So give us documents about this specific, this specific aspect of climate change, you know, right. polar bears. And uh, they have 20 days to respond. If they don't respond... Or even if they do and they don't give us the documents we think we do, we can go to federal court. And the EPA – Here's where it gets interesting. And the EPA has a limited time to come back to us in federal court and say to the court, well, you know, either uh, we gave them everything and there's nothing to fight over or we do have other things, but we need time to give it to them. And uh, when we give them the, do- the documents, we may withhold information, but we'll defend them to the – we'll defend the withholdings to the court. 
So the process is all about getting the accountability from the agency, and they got to answer to us in the court of law, and they have to answer to the court. So it's a wonderful uh, the vehicle for getting access to information, and we don't have the politics. We're not uh, we're nonpartisan, so we don't we're not Democrat or Republican. We're conservative of outlook, but we sue both Republicans and Democrats. We're suing the Trump administration now. We sue the Obama administration hundreds of times to get access to records. And uh, I, I, it's remarkable, and as a non-lawyer, to uh, recognize um, the precious, precious right we have here in the United States of America that Judicial Watch can go into court in the IRS and the Justice Department or the State Department, whatever the agency, they have to come in and provide us answers and give us the documents, and the court supervises that. Uh, that's not available anywhere else in the world, as far as I can tell, to the degree it's available here. And so, uh, you know, so when Congress gets into a fight with an administration about documents, it's a whole other matter. You know, uh, to the fact that they don't even want to litigate them, and usually it's just politicians yelling at each other, and that's not a recipe for success in terms of accountability. Now, you mentioned that you're nonpartisan. You also mentioned that you're conservative in, in outlook. Um, what were some of the most contentious uh, cases you've brought before Republican administrations? Well, we were founded during the Clinton administration, and uh, then the Bush administration comes in, and first of all, they're not terribly interested in holding the Clinton administration to account for political reasons because they don't think scandal politics, they didn't think scandal politics worked for them. So the rule of law took uh, a second a back seat in the Trump and the Bush, in the Bush administration. Uh, but as I said earlier, the Bush administration didn't think they uh, should be answerable to the American people in many ways. They took this attitude that the Freedom of Information Act and these transparency laws were uh, really just uh, pro uh, um, inconvenient, uh, uh, got, got in the way of doing what they wanted to do. And they encroachments should, on their authority. Encroachments on their authority, and, they, and it was just beneath them to have to answer to the American people. So I remember the uh, – Well, that's, that's an example of the arrogance of power, isn't it? It is, and it's the, it's the Republican approach. You know, when, under FOIA, Democrats tell you they're in favor of transparency, and then they shred and hide the emails or hide documents. The Republicans uh, say that they uh, don't like the transparency laws and will fight you in court. So I don't know which is worse. <laughs> Someone who says they're in favor of transparency and then doesn't follow the law and hides documents – um, and were the Republicans who said they just didn't like transparency at all and fought you all the time. So either way, you don't get the records you want without. So what a fight. are some of the key cases? You've oh, had so the big case the with, with the Bush administration was the Cheney Energy Task Force, as it was called. Uh, the president wanted to do a task force on energy, which, from the conservative perspective, is almost necessarily ridiculous. You know, we don't need a task force on clothing or on pencils or anything else. It was a political uh, – uh, and it turned into, as we uh, correctly guessed, just an opportunity for every government – every interest that wanted their ideas funded or protected by the government to come in. So you had the oil industry come in. Seeking and, favors. Seeking favors and protections and benefits and subsidies. So we thought the way they had set it up made uh, uh, triggered open meetings laws and other transparency laws, and we fought them in court, and we fought them all the way up to the Supreme Court. And believe it or not, we lost. Uh, but uh, we did win in the sense that tens of thousands of documents 
uh, were pushed out. And the, and the Bush administration then was uh, put on its heels as a result of its fighting with us on transparency issues. And, of course, the media, who hated Judicial Watch when they were going after the Clintons, loved Judicial Watch because we were fighting for transparency against President Bush. Uh, so the Bush administration was put back on their heels. And at one point, I think in 2007, just before he left, uh, President Bush actually signed a Freedom of Information Act law, that a reform that strengthened the law further. So uh, you know, the transparency issue took on new life under President uh, uh, Bush as a result of our litigation. And uh, it was good re with good reason that President Obama, when he was running for office to become president initially, talked about being the most transparent administration in history because he saw that was a good selling point. It turned into something else, obviously. Now, uh, when it comes to the duplicity of the media, uh, people easily understand and embrace what you're saying, that the media doesn't treat uh, independent investigations of presidential administrations the same way when they're of two different parties. How about your donors? You must have had an awful lot of donors who were very enthusiastic about your investigation of the Clinton administration. Did they get a little cold when it came around to investigating the Bush administration? Yeah, I think the enthusiasm waned. They thought their side was uh, running power uh, in power, and there was no need to question it. But as so, so you depend on donations. I mean, I don't know how much you're able to uh, uh, to bank. Uh, for the so-called rainy day, but assuming that you spend the money that comes in through the door, when the administration changes uh, and all of a sudden the money starts to dry up because you're now investigating Republicans and conservative donors are less enthusiastic about supporting investigations of, of Republican administrations, how do you adjust for that? Well, you you uh, you curtail the services or the, your work where where it's appropriate in order to save some money. Uh, but what was remarkable, Colin, is that we still raised millions of dollars, and people were still concerned on a principled way about making sure the government was held accountable to the rule of law. Which means that your donors have a more idealistic, a purer set of motives than merely seeking partisan advantage. Sure. They had a principled approach. Now they've Imagine. got – they maybe got – Where do you get donors like that? <laughs> <laughs> well, they're out there. Uh, the politicians don't understand they're out there and treat everyone as if they uh, are only in it for uh, political gain when they really want to just protect the country. So uh, – and, 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 and the donors were very concerned, especially over time when the Bush administration just, you know, just got so caught up in, in uh, you know, just doing what it wanted without much in the way of accountability and just thinking they were above reproach from anyone. I mean, I think conservatives generally uh, we got tired of the Bush administration uh, because they just didn't want to uh, – they were doing, A, unconservative things and they didn't think they needed to be held accountable to anybody. Well, we've now gotten through uh, the first uh, dozen or so years of, uh, of Judicial Watch. Now, after this break, we're going to come back and talk about uh, the Obama administration and then finally the Trump administration. We're speaking with Tom Fitton of Judicial Watch. We'll be back in a moment after these messages. To connect with our hosts, log on to LetFreedomRingUSA.com. That's LetFreedomRingUSA.com. 
Now, more conservative solutions to liberal problems. Here's Colin Hanna. Welcome back to Conservative Solutions to Liberal Problems. My guest today is Tom Fitton of Judicial Watch. Tell us now about the Clinton-Benghazi investigation that you really led the Congress on uh, more than the Congress uh, cracking the code, as it were. That's that's fascinating, and there's a there's an aspect to that story that uh, outside of the uh, the political junkies around Washington, the average person may not know. But the work that you did was truly uh, disruptive. That's a that's a word that I guess not only has a has a current meaning in terms of uh, uh, disruptive marketing and whatnot, but is certainly in its broader sense uh, disruptive of. Uh, of, of that uh, Obama administration. So take us through that. Well, you know, the Benghazi scandal was so egregious because there you had a terrorist attack uh, on our ambassador led to his murder. Um, a communications assistant in um, was also murdered. Some you know, young gentleman who was did not plan to be in the middle of a terrorist attack when he joined the State Department, believe you me. And then, of course, you had the two former special forces operators who were uh, killed subsequent. And what was the response of the Obama administration? Oh, my gosh. We had run with the campaign slogan, uh, bin Laden is dead and GM is alive. How does that hurt? That hurts us that there was a terrorist attack on September 11, 2012, a few months before the election in Libya, the mess that we had made. They did not want to admit to that. So they went out and lied. Hillary Clinton, uh, President Obama. Susan Rice. Susan Rice most famously went on all the Sunday morning talk shows shortly after the attack and blamed it on an Internet video. And they knew immediately it wasn't an Internet video. Now, your your investigator's nose must have been twitching as this was all happening. You know, and we saw – I mean it really is a scam. These men were killed. No one rushed to their rescue and everyone lied about the circumstances of their death. And uh, so we weren't going to, and we were going to give up on it. So we initiated, we initiated at least, uh, I think, a dozen Freedom Information Act requests, and we started suing once we got the Stonewall, as we had hundreds of other times with the Obama administration, the least transparent administration in memory. And um, all of a sudden, we get this big document. I think it was in 2014. Uh, The document was from the State Department, and they had gotten a memo from the White House, uh, and they were the one – and it turned out the White House had created the talking points used by Susan Rice to go out to the TV shows and lie to the American people. And it just blew up because at that time, conservatives and Judicial Watch had been pressing Congress to appoint a select committee to investigate Benghazi. It was significant enough. And uh, and they would tell us back, well, we've got all these committees looking into it. We don't need a you know a select committee. It's already being thoroughly it's investigated all. enough. But this document that we had uncovered hadn't been uncovered by Congress. And John, how Biden, so? How, how how did you wind up with it? Uh, if if Congress had not, was it because you had more cleverly uh, framed uh, the request, and therefore this document fell? Uh, under your request definition and not under theirs? Or was it uh, some honest person who inadvertently slipped up and, and, uh, and provided it uh, from the State Department? 
Uh, what was what was the key to that? That's a know, fa- that's an interesting behind the scenes story. Yeah, and I don't know the answer to that. Why is it? Uh, you know, because it was responsive to Congress uh, to their requests. And my guess is they, and it's informed guess, is that they could think they could game Congress. I mean, their goal with Congress is to withhold information. So they treated Congress more seriously than you. Is that uh, do you think what happened or what? Uh, no, they treat them less seriously than us. That, that, it's one thing to have these requests and subpoenas that may or may not be enforced in court. It's another thing to game the system once you're in court. And that's why they have more difficulty in withholding material from us. And if they do, they do it at great risk. At genuine legal risk, not merely political and public relations risk. That's right. Right. That's right. And what was interesting, so we're getting these, like, very interesting Benghazi material. And, of course, our disclosure led John Boehner, the then speaker, to recommend, and the House approved, the Select Committee on Benghazi. But we notice when we're getting these Benghazi materials, why no emails from Hillary Clinton? Hmm. Why no emails from Hillary Clinton? And I thought initially, Colin, that maybe she didn't use emails. Maybe she was first lady. She ran for presidency and was in the Senate. Had, had all communications handled by surrogates. Yeah, that she just said, you know, I want this, and her assistant would send an email. Well, little did I know. But just because I thought maybe she didn't use emails, it didn't mean we didn't ask for specifically to make sure we got it covered. So we once again asked for and got the runaround. And uh, then in the latter latter part of 2014, they came back to us and said, well, we're giving you all the documents except, hey, guess what? There are some documents we have to look through. And in February 2015, they said to the court in a pleading, we give Judicial Watch everything except these documents we have to look through. Three or four weeks later, it ends up in the New York Times that there was the Clinton email issue. And uh, subsequently, it's become clear. I mean, it was clear then based on the timing. Uh, but even the FBI documents that have been released recently, it was the FOIA litigation that forced the disclosure of the Clinton email issue. And um, Mrs. Clinton is probably rude the day that Judicial Watch began asking questions about this because oh, it just blew up of everything. Of course. Um, as I recall, I may have these, these numbers wrong. But as I recall, there were something in the range of 60,000 emails that had passed to and from her through the private email address, Clinton email dot whatever it was, org or com or something. Um, And that roughly half of them were erased on the grounds that they were personal and therefore not responsive uh, to the to the request through FOIA, and if I'm not mistaken, it was uh, Attorney Kendall, was it not, who uh, who made the judgment as to which of the thirty thousand was uh, an official government document, therefore had to be provided to Judicial Watch, and which were personal and did not have to be. Are those numbers approximately right or not? It's right. You're right, but you're, it's even worse than you recount because these. The question wasn't necessarily whether documents were responsive to Judicial Watch's FOIAs. Is that when she was writing this material as Secretary of State? Once she wrote them, she couldn't leave with them without the permission of the agency because they were agency records. So when she deleted the 30,000 emails, it wasn't the, – obviously our FOIA was impacted, but these were government records. And then she didn't have the right to make the judgment as to whether to delete them or not. 
And so when her lawyers did that, they Mrs. Clinton, when Mrs. Clinton authorized her lawyers to do that, thank all you sorts for putting of, it that way. All sorts of laws were broken, and who's liable for that? Uh, you well, know, I thought for the pros- prosecutors need to figure it out. How many of those thirty thousand have mm-hmm. since been recovered through uh, some of the forensic work that was done on hard drives and whatnot? About maybe half, although it's still not clear because. The FBI is still holding up the delivery of those records back to the State Department so we can figure out what's up and what's down in that regard. We are in 2017. Are you telling me that the FBI is still reviewing some of those uh, recovered emails that are responsive, potentially responsive to your request and not yet delivering them to you? I believe they're not reviewing them. I think they're just sitting on them. Uh, and now, they don't want to turn them over. Because- on what basis can they do that? And and let's, for the purposes of this little part of our discussion, let's assume the very best of the FBI. Let's assume that they are not politically motivated. Let's assume that there aren't people in there who are in the the protection of, of favored politicos' uh, business but are simply uh, bureaucrats. Is, is, is that a— a reasonable explanation? Are there people at the FBI that are sort of doggedly and, and uh, in a very sort of systematic way uh, going through them? Or do you think that there is an active effort to avoid further uh, damaging disclosures that would reflect negatively on former Secretary Clinton? Yes, and not only I would so add, the latter. Yeah, the latter. And I would add to that it would reflect negatively on the FBI. Uh, that did a half-baked investigation into Hillary Clinton and reflect negatively on the State Department. So there's this bureaucratic self-interest with FBI leadership and the State Department that doesn't want to push for these records that are theirs uh, because they know the release of the records because the records we have been getting since then, we've been getting emails that Mrs. Clinton hadn't turned over that she did try to delete but were found elsewhere that show that she did delete records that, quote, weren't personal. So are you continuing to pound, even while you're working right now on on these other matters uh, with the Trump administration, are you continuing to pound the FBI and continuing to use the courts to say uh, the document uh, provision that was supposed to be ordered by your court has not been complied with? Well, unfortunately, the courts are letting the agencies stall. You know, they defer to the agencies and how quickly they can get through records. And this batch that we're talking about with the FBI and the remaining Clinton records, they're telling us we we should get them by um, 2020. Oh, come on. Tom Fitton, are you serious? No. And that's that's the— Are you serious? Do you have that in writing somewhere from— Oh, sure. They mentioned it in court. They said they, they, they hope to have all the records to us by 2020. So we could wait as long now, as— Now, is that in court testimony, or is that in a memorandum that was introduced in court, or what? Uh, I, I'd like to ask you, if I could, for one of those things to post on the Let Freedom Ring website. I'd like people to see this. Yeah, I think it was in a court hearing that they mentioned it, and I'm sure it's in filings. But I'll follow up with you and give you the background on it. It's just extraordinary. It is, it is beyond extraordinary. It is scandalous. It is atrocious. It is a travesty. They, they don't want to give them to us until the first Hillary Clinton administration. Oh my goodness! <laughs> well, now let's come back after or this the break. Chelsea Clinton administration. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Well, we'll be back uh, with more with Tom Fitton on the other side of this break. Stand by. 
To connect with our hosts, log on to LetFreedomRingUSA.com. That's LetFreedomRingUSA.com. Now, more conservative solutions to liberal problems. Here's Colin Hanna. Welcome back to Conservative Solutions to Liberal Problems. I'm your host, Colin Hanna, from Let Freedom Ring. And we're talking with Tom Fitton of Judicial Watch, and we are now up to the present. Tom, tell me what Judicial Watch is doing with regard to the Trump administration, now only five or so months old. What kinds of things are you using FOIA and other techniques to try to get them to disclose to you that they have failed to disclose so far? Well, I think constitutionally we're facing a unique challenge to our Republican form of government. Now, Judicial Watch is obviously going to monitor the Trump administration in the sense they're doing policy and figuring out what they're up to, making sure things are being done honestly and with full accountability. But now we have this additional crisis of the deep state, the alt-government, as I call it, Mm -hmm. that the president— If they're going to have an alt-right and an alt-left, there ought to be an alt-bureaucracy. And it sure is in operation now, and it's resisting President Trump and trying to thwart him. And through the intelligence agencies, uh, you see efforts to destroy him and jail him, frankly. And uh, so I think the priority these days is obviously accountability for the Obama administration, but not only on the Clinton matter, but on the disclosures that the Obama gang was spying on the Trump team and who knows who else. So let's, let's delve into that for a moment because famously – President Trump one Sunday morning, as I recall, tweeted that President Obama, whether he means individually or the administration, had in fact wiretapped, that's a term that was used, wiretapped him in in Trump Tower. Uh, A lot of people have sort of forgotten about that as the election uh, has unfolded and lots of other issues regarding Russian influence uh, and so on have come up. Tell us what you have found out that maybe the average consumer of news but is but not uh, the kind of person who delves into the very bottom of every issue. What have you found out about that particular claim? Because the, the mainstream media is fond of saying that it was an utterly irresponsible charge, that no such thing had taken place. They even on several occasions would say in a headline something that – to my mind, belongs in an opinion column, not in a news headline, but they would say Trump without evidence uh, claims, et cetera, et cetera. What have you found out? Well, we're following the news the way everyone else is. We're suing for the records, but being denied records by the deep state because I don't think the Trump administration is running things in that regard. Uh, But according to published reports and reports from Congress, they were surveilling the Trump team. They were surveilling Trump and his associates. And the extent – the question is to what extent. Now, the president uses the phrase wiretapping. That's close enough for government work. Uh, he was being spied upon. Yeah, wiretapping, yeah. Uh, I think, in the way he would use it, would be just a, a, an all-encompassing uh, term for, um, for undisclosed spying on communications, That's right? Co- that is correct. And, and, and it looks like they were surveilling and, and using – you had the former, the head of the Intelligence Committee, Devin Nunes, go over and review intelligence information that showed that Susan Rice was uh, asking for the names of people 
Americans caught up in foreign intelligence. Now, this is the so-called unmasking, unmasking part of the issue. And not just intelligence collection related to alleged Russia collusion, which to me is the unicorn theory of the election, uh, but just unmasking generally. So they looked to me like uh, Susan Rice was essentially Googling our intelligence databases to find out what dirt they had on Americans. And not for a good not purposes. Just Americans in general, but Trump-related Americans. And who knows particular. who else? Members of Congress. Uh, who else was surveilled? We know General Flynn was surveilled. We know uh, Senator Sessions was surveilled. We know other Trump associates were surveilled. We know Trump computer uh, servers were surveilled, which puts makes Trump's statement almost Doesn't absolutely right. Doesn't at that right. point, yeah, exactly. Doesn't that settle the question that that wiretapping and and Wiretapping, as I say, can certainly include uh, computer surveillance. Uh, doesn't that validate the, the wiretapping claim? Uh, yeah, in see, your, mind, in it your would, mind. It would seem to me to validate it. And not only that, but then once they do the surveillance, they're leaking this classified material and leaking the names in a way that violates people's privacy and violates the laws against the leaking of mishandling classified information. So you've had the spy, you had the spying, which may or may not be illicit. You have the well, unmasking, which may or may not be illicit, but the, then the leaks, which are clearly illicit, yeah. and that ought to be the subject of criminal investigations as opposed to the kind of employment dispute that has turned into a criminal investigation between Comey and the president. Uh, let's go back and talk about one aspect of, of that whole investigation, which is the so-called FISA court, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act court, which is the court that the government must go to to get permission to do direct surveillance on American citizens. And there were several news reports that have sort of disappeared without a trace since then, but there were several news reports that indicated that the Obama Justice Department, and I have often said the most politicized Justice Department in history, that the Obama Justice Department went to the FISA court sometime in the spring of 2016, maybe around June, I guess that's technically the beginning of summer, and requested authority to do this kind of surveillance and were turned down, and then went back in sometime in October and were then granted permission, perhaps because they had redrawn uh, the request. Uh, are those facts essentially correct, or are they, in fact, uh, merely uh, disproven, I mean, uh, uh, undocumented allegations? Well, I, I think you're, I, that's my understanding as well. And more specifically, we've asked for re these records. We want to know about these applications. Well, some of those records that you might be asking for might conceivably be unavailable to you because they are legitimately state secrets. They are legitimately involving classified information. That's right. Has that been the excuse given to you, or have you had no response, or have you had some other kind of BS response? Well, uh, I would categorize it all as the latter, with uh, the excuses being of the former. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, because if there is classified material, we don't want classified material that's truly classified, but that is easily removed from materials, and you can get a good feel for what they were doing by releasing at least portions of records that ought to be released. And this is what has uh, bothered me about the Trump administration, and I think the problem President Trump is having is that he probably wants all this information released. I bet, I bet you he wants the Clinton material released. He wants all of it released. But the agencies just don't want to do anything, and they don't want – he can click his heels three times 
and release the Russian material, release this FISA, the unmasking material, what the Obama people were up to, what they had on the Russia's uh, investigation. What is the transcript? What did Mr. Flynn, General Flynn, tell the Russian ambassador? What's the transcript? Let's get that out there. But, Instead, but back the, in the Obama years, you had the Obama administration on one side and Judicial Watch on the other, very much at loggerheads with one another. If, as you just indicated, uh, the Trump administration wants access to this information perhaps every bit as much as Judicial Watch does, so now you're on the same side, how is it that with both of you trying to get this information, you still can't get it? Well, it's how is that even possible? It's the deep state approach. And, uh, but the, how do you crack through the deep state at that? I mean, how do you use the combined leverage of the Congress on the one hand and the courts through FOIA on the other? Uh, isn't that a powerful pair of tools? Well, we're hoping that's what happens in the end, that Congress forces these records out, that the White House takes a direct interest in getting records out. I mean, if I were the president, I would initiate a transparency initiative and uh, some type of truth commission. We're going to expose what went on during the Obama administration. I have nothing to hide on Russia. We're going to release everything we can in a way that doesn't hurt our national security on the Russia collusion and alleged involvement of people of me and people close to me in this. We're going to let it all hang out. And, but you tell that to the lawyers in the administration. They have uh, – you know, they all fall down. Um, is it possible – I hadn't thought about this until th this very moment – is it possible to – for the president to issue an executive order which directs all executive branch departments to do everything possible to comply with any FOIA request and or congressional uh, request for information? Uh, that comes along that is uh, involves their agency. Sure, it's an executive policy. It's a that, policy by the that's agency. That's the kind of thing that an executive order is intended right. to to be used for, not to not to uh, begin to encroach on the Congress's ability to legislate. But this is how you run the administration uh, of the executive department. Why why shouldn't uh, you and and other uh, truth seeking conservatives? mount an effort to try to persuade the president to issue such an executive order to make it even – put even more pressure on the so-called deep state. Well, I've told the White House their policy should be one of extreme transparency. We hear extreme vetting, <laughs> I like extreme that. transparency. I like that. And uh, – but um, the president wants to do lots of things. The White House wants to do lots of things. But the agencies – as I, as I jokingly said, but it's said it's many ways not a joke, the Trump administration is yet to come to power. So uh, it may, be, may take more political appointees and places of influence in order to get these things done. So how can our listeners learn more about the work you're doing at uh, Judicial Watch? Can they become insiders of some sort? Can they sign up on, a, on an email list or something so that they can learn what's next in your investigatory pipeline? Oh, sure. They can go to our Internet site and do all of that at judicialwatch.org, judicialwatch.org. We're on Facebook and Twitter and such. And what's great about the website is for, for people should support us, but they also can look at all the documents I've been talking about. They can look at the Clinton emails that we've uncovered or the Benghazi materials or Fast and Furious or IRS and now even Trump materials coming to us. So uh, there's there's plenty there for anyone interested in figuring out what's uh, what the government doesn't want them to know. Well, uh, someone has once said that integrity 
is what you do when you don't know that you're being observed. Right. And this is uh, the the cognate, if you will, of integrity. And I want to thank you and salute you, Tom, for the tremendous work you're doing on behalf of the American citizen. Thank you for the good work, Alan. Thank you. Thanks for being with us today on Conservative Solutions to Liberal Problems. Tune in next week at 8 a.m. Saturday morning right here on WNTP 990 a.m. Thanks for listening to Conservative Solutions to Liberal Problems with Colin Hanna, president of Let Freedom Ring USA, promoting constitutional government, economic freedom, and traditional values. Log on to LetFreedomRingUSA.com to learn more. That's LetFreedomRingUSA.com. Go there and learn more. Take action. I'm Hugh Hewitt. The views and opinions on the preceding show are solely those of Colin Hanna of Let Freedom Ring and his guests.